0: Computer, initialize Holosuite. suite
1: Welcome to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined, as always, by Chris. Chris, how are you on this fine evening as we record?
2: Doing pretty well, how about yourself?
1: It's been a really rubbish uh, week for me, actually. As we record this, uh, this episode probably doesn't go out for another two weeks or so, uh, but my dog... 11 years old, almost 12, unfortunately passed away a few days ago. It's been a really tough couple of days for the family. I've had that dog since 2009. He's been with me in my marriage, uh, my first marriage, divorce, moving to a different country to work, moving back, having two children, and God bless my dog Reno. He stuck around as long as he could, yeah. but in the end, it wasn't to be that he'd get to his 12th birthday. but. You know, it's uh, it's been it's been rough, but I'm hoping by the time this episode goes out that we'll have him back. I've gone for a cremation for him, and uh, we've got some nice ideas for how we're going to sort of continue to celebrate his life in my house. So uh, yeah, rough though. First time I've lost a pet through death that I've known about. Like, not I'm not talking about a cat disappearing when I was a kid. This yeah. is the first time that it's been one of my own animals. So it's been it's been very hard. And of course, I got a four-year-old kid and a two-year-old daughter. So. My daughter didn't understand. She just thinks Reno's in the clouds and is laughing about yeah. it. Uh, whereas Harrison believes that Reno's in the clouds and is very sad about that. So it's, it's a very, uh, it's really hard. We've got both a teddy bear each, like a chocolate Labrador teddy mm-hmm. each. Um, so they both call them Reno. <laughs> and so now they've got Reno's to go to sleep with every night. So it's uh, it's been a hard one though, man. It's, uh, it's been a rough one. But, you know, he would want me to move on and keep going we're all in lockdown or various types of lockdown in in parts of the world so when the last thing you want to do is be in your house where you would be seeing your dog all the time yeah. and then you have to stay in your house anyway because of lockdowns but you are losing your mind because you keep seeing where your dog would be it's, it's pretty horrible it might have been easier. i don't know if if we weren't in uh, the pandemic but there we go so before we get into this week's episode and i'll tell you all what it's about in a moment uh, if you haven't read the episode title <laughs> Don't forget to review and subscribe to our podcast on uh, whichever podcast platform you use. I'm an Apple Podcasts kind of guy. Chris, you're a podcast yep. addict. That's your uh, your app of choice. So please rate us, review us. Even if it's just clicking five star rating with not no review, that's fine. You don't need to leave a review, but ratings great for us as we look to continue to grow this podcast into the finest Star Trek Enterprise podcast on the internet. In fact, Chris, I don't think there's any major Enterprise podcasts even streaming right now anyway, is there? I
2: haven't heard anything or any rumblings of the one that we stole stole Brandy from, so coming back.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it will either. Just us for now. Yeah, please subscribe, review, rate. We'd really appreciate it. We're also on Patreon. Mm-hmm. You can go to patreon.com forward slash NX01podcast. There's various price tiers on there. We have a uh, very affordable early release one where you also get your name in the uh, episode credits on our website every single week. The early release is seven days, which I think we've only missed like once. Yeah. And if it was five days, but then we released the next episode early, it, it, it balanced out. There's lowest perks on there. There's higher tiers where you can get podcasts from us, which do not get released mm-hmm. to the um, to the, the general listener. And lots more. So take a look anyway. Patreon.com forward slash NX01 podcast. This week, Chris, we're heading into season one. Yeah,
2: heading back to it.
1: Yeah, we've been chatting Borg for a number of weeks. Now we've done a writer's room. And now we're going to talk Sulaban. The episode we'll be discussing is Detained. Uh, which was a very socially relevant episode at the time when it was released, continues to probably be quite socially yeah. relevant now, 20 years later, uh, almost 20 years later. And you could probably say has been socially relevant for at least the last century yeah. <laughs> in the world. So it, it's it's shocking that nothing's been learned from anything that Detained covered. But we'll get into that on this uh, on this show. The episode was written by Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong. And the story was from Rick Berman and Bran Braga, as a lot of them were mm-hmm. in their first two seasons of Enterprise. It was directed by David Livingston, who did a lot of episodes in Trek. Don't ask me to name them, but I'm <laughs> used to seeing his name pop up uh, on an episode. Chris... Rather than drop you in it with an episode summary request, I'm going to do it all myself. Right. I've knocked up a description for anyone who doesn't remember what this episode's about. So I've saved you there. I haven't put you on the spot. As you do to me all the time. <laughs> you always put me on the spot. Constantly. I should probably start preparing something when I know that you're leading the episode. Because I know I'm going to get dropped in it.
2: <laughs> with our first project discussion, I was going to... I was asking you if we should, and you just went right into it.
1: That's because it was an easy one, though. And that probably was because I was half prepared for you to drop me in it. So I was like, I'm just going to go for it if it comes up. Uh, okay, so uh, for those of you who haven't watched Detained in quite some time, I will describe it now. Captain Archer and Ensign Mayweather wake up in a prison full of Suliban. They've been captured by the Tandarans who found them too close for comfort to their own military installations which Archer explains was simply a mistake. Uh, the guy in charge, Colonel Gratt, believes Archer's story but there is a lot of red tape to cut through before they can send Archer and Travis back to the Enterprise. Whilst they wait for their release to be sorted, they both have to stay with the other prisoners. They soon realise that these Suluan are not members of the Cabal with whom Archer has had previous problems such as in Cold Front and Broken Bow. But they're actually simple, innocent people who the Tandarans have arrested simply to keep them from being recruited into the Cabal. As Archer begins to put together a plan to help the Suliban escape, Colonel Gratt realises that Archer has battled the Cabal, and so wants to know everything he can from Archer to help the Tandarans in their war versus the Cabal. Archer doesn't play ball, though. Disguised as a Suliban, Malcolm Reed beams into the prison complex to help Archer and Travis lead the prison breakout. All goes to plan, including a dire warning from Colonel Gratt about what fate awaits the Suliban who are escaping. The episode ends with Archer headed back to the Enterprise with his crew, happy to have helped all of those innocent Suliban, but not sure that they'll be able to avoid being snapped up by the Cabal. And there we have it. We end on an ominous note, really, in this episode where Archer won't answer if he thinks the Suliban will manage to escape the Cabal. So first thoughts from you then, Chris. Let's get you talking. Your immediate thoughts on this episode.
2: This to me is like one of the... Season one hidden gems for Enterprise, just because it's got everything you look for in a Star Trek episode. You do have some battle scenes. I mean, granted, that's not some of the first things that people look for, but they are there. There's a big, you know, social commentary message laced throughout. You have United Federation of Planets slash Earth slash whatever, you know, the good guys helping out people that really could use the help.
1: Yeah, this is one of your favourites then. Definitely
2: one of my favourites from season one.
1: Same. I always remember this episode though. Okay, it's got the big nice energetic action scene in the last maybe 10 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. But it's quite a, um, a dialogue heavy episode, you know, and making you think. And like you said, a big commentary. But I always think of this episode when I think of Enterprise episodes. I don't know why. And uh, maybe it's just because of what it, the themes it's yeah. covering. Uh, and as I said earlier, they're still relevant to all of us today. Maybe we should go straight into that then and how this... Well, let's probably talk about how this story came about, because we've spoken before about 9-11, which happened probably only, like, eight months maybe before this episode would have aired, maybe uh, slightly less. At that point... Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the Western world decided that every Muslim was the enemy. Right. I'm not saying that everyone felt that, but that was a very vocal group, vocal, even if it was a vocal minority, <laughs> there was a big group leaning that way. And that, that hasn't really gone away no. since, to be honest. It's still, it's still here now in 2021. But because of who had uh, committed the attack on 9-11, I think particularly from America, there was a lot of ill feeling towards Muslim people. A lot of Muslim people didn't feel safe. Yeah, In America, in in the UK, because, you know, the UK mirrors America a lot of the time with, with what's going on. And, um, and we see so much American media in the UK that I think America influences a lot of our own weaker-minded yeah. individuals, I want to say. With the stuff that certain American groups, certain patriots Quote, might unquote. begin to... <laughs> Yeah, quote unquote, uh, might buy into. We have the same crowd here and they see that and they take the same approach. So Enterprise was really born out of that, well, in that new world that was in your country, Chris. And we've we've chatted about that before. But this was the first time where the show tried to say that actually, you know, yeah, we're we're all about going out. And the Zindi War is an example of, you know, going out and kicking some ass to protect our our own. But this was the only time where at the start of the show where they said, look, actually, not everyone's Mm -hmm. bad. We can't paint everyone with the same the same brush. Yeah, there's some bad Suluban, but there's loads of good ones. There's a dad with his daughter here, and there's families in this in this prison who've never done anything wrong. That literally, it's how they look that's put right. them there. Now we can go right through the last century, probably more, but the last century, even in, again in your own country, yeah. Chris, you know, America likes to forget that it had uh, internment camps and and things like that. Mister Sulu himself spent time in one as a child.
2: I think I think a lot of. America's blindness to it, really, is that, you know, unlike Nazi Germany, we didn't really do that many executions, if any at all. We just set them to the side, you know, You like they were saying in, in this episode, for their own protection.
1: Yeah, yeah. Quote, unquote. Yeah. <laughs> As Chris said, I started looking at them in the Zoom call. Yeah, so this whole idea that we're going to put them in a prison to keep them safe so they can't be turned to... Extremism is essentially what the episode is trying to say. They don't want the cabal to take these people, offer them or or even not offer them, just do them changes to their body, turn them into soldiers mm-hmm. that could be used against us. And that was a fear that everyone had around the world, rightly or wrongly. And I think this episode was really trying to lean heavily into the idea that we need to be more open-minded and more more considerate, I guess, to even the people that we allegedly hate. Right. You know what I mean? Is because... Although, though Suleban in this episode, as I just said, the only thing they did wrong was look a certain way. Mm -hmm. And they apparently were just as bad as the ones who are actually doing some crimes. Imagine, but I wouldn't be treated that way. No. A white man goes into a school and shoots up a school. I'm not seen as being evil like him.
2: They're trying to figure out what what happened in your past that led to that.
1: Yeah, whereas with the Sulaban, with with Muslims, with anything, with Asian people uh, and such, looking back at American history, yeah, it's just, uh, it's literally, um, it's just about how you look. And yeah, we're going to keep you safe. We're going to keep you safe over there, but we're going to treat you like crap as well. (laughs) And um, all these things. So it's messy. Now let's talk, I mean, you said before, you wanted to sort of talk about the similarities with. I guess with Nazi Germany and things like that as well, and internment camps. I mean, what did you want to say on that?
2: Um, Just, you know, basically, one of my main points actually from when I was doing my my tweet-along watch, this episode really does speak uh, to the dangers of, you know, concentration, you know, internment camps, and, you know, how we shouldn't judge an entire race just by a handful of its members. One of the things that that I've always, you know, kind of remembered is, you know, knowledge is knowing that, Al-Qaeda and ISIS and all them are Muslims, but wisdom is knowing that not all, not all Muslims are a part of those groups.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's what detained is trying to, to get at. Do you think that, do you think the Suluban had been so, like, clearly representative, though, of Muslims before I... that? Or did was detained? I don't think they ever were presented as extremists before right. this. We never knew about the cabal being a one-part of, of the,
2: the entire race, yeah. You know,
1: one small amount of of Suleban. Yeah, I mean, maybe is that even itself a, com- a social commentary? Because oh, some people aren't informed enough about the cultures in different parts of the world, and that not all of them want to see a way of life end. You know, yeah. It's, it's
2: yeah. And it's, I think I think they once once nine eleven happened because this one I think was clearly written after nine eleven. They were like, okay, so we have the Sulliban. I think originally we were what we were wanting to do was you know, make it toward the entire races you know like this, but then nine eleven happens. And it's like okay, let's tweak this. Let's try to get do do what Star Trek's known for, and and doing its best. And that's you know, doing social commentary and let's let's show them that there are more Sulaban than just those that are members of the cabal.
1: I'll tell you what is really interesting with that as well because if you think this, I think this was episode twenty, 20. or so of. Uh... Yeah, okay, so close to the end of the season. But they would have been writing it, or at least breaking it, probably around Christmas yeah. time, which would have only been three, almost four mm-hmm. months after nine eleven. So for all these people who criticise current Trek for being too woke, allegedly, as if being woke <laughs> is a negative thing, but whatever. You know, this... And it's talking about current issues with, I guess, there's a lot of criticism... That Discovery has, at times, done some analogies of America, mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say. And I don't mean this in any slight on that. But the current leadership of Star Trek certainly leaned left yeah, with political views. And so uh, Discovery has sort of represented those views, I guess. But we're looking now that within three to four months of 9-11 happening, there was a group of writers mm-hmm. at Paramount working for Star Trek Enterprise, who immediately thought, we need to do a story where we point out that not everyone's the same. Yeah. Everyone is saying that every Muslim now, because of 9-11, is out to get us. And we're going to do a story now and say, no, they're not. But can you imagine, in current situation in the world, mm-hmm. if Discovery was trying to do something three months after, let's talk about those, you know, the attempted coup in Washington, D.C. Yeah. If Discovery decided to do something about that now in season four... They be getting criticized. Exactly, yeah. Why can't I just enjoy? Yeah. Why can't I just enjoy my Star Trek, my TV? Why has it got to be about, about what's going on here? But Trek's been doing that all the yeah. time. Detained is a prime example. And
2: you know, say, same with um, in Deep Space Nine. I think because with past tense, it was fair you know a couple well a couple years removed from from the Rodney King riots, but still kind of dealing dealing with that and trying to present way uh, way of that as well. Um, and I'm also thinking of uh, Paradise Lost that with with that two parter.
1: Yeah, we've done it the entire history of Trek, and I think when people talk about the Star Trek episodes that are social commentaries, mm-hmm. I think Detained gets left out of the conversation.
2: Yeah, it really does, and and you know I I do believe because it's it's one of those that that people haven't really gotten into and and you know dissected it like they have the previous ones.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think, firstly, maybe Enterprise's lower viewership, Mm -hmm. Uh, although it's still doing good numbers at this time in its run, but maybe the lower viewership means that not as many people have seen the episode to know of what it was talking about. But also, maybe the truth is that some people don't want to hold up the mirror that Detained gets you to hold up and look look into. You know, I'm, I'm I'm just putting this out there. We live in this world still. I said, I don't know if it was on this show or if it was before we came on, but... You know we've had these problems for over a hundred mm-hmm. years, at least in recent history. Our entire modern Earth history is littered with this kind of thing, and a lot of people have not looked in a mirror. And maybe that's why detain doesn't get talked about. Let's go into just the Suliban, which I've just realised now. My phone's autocorrect <laughs> has changed Suliban to Sultan. And I think
2: I think with <laughs> the uh, with with the post that, that you did too, it changed it to Sullivan.
1: Yeah. Oh, did it? Oh no! I'm going to have to look at that for a sec. Let's talk about some information we got about okay. the Suliban as well, which we didn't really have. Um, I can't remember if we knew that their world had been destroyed previously. Had we, th- like, 300 years, I think, we find out in this episode?
2: I don't think we, we had known, really, a whole lot other than that Future Guy was pulling their strings. I think that was really the basic the basic gist of where they were taking them.
1: And actually, there's a similarity here with the Zindi, mm-hmm. whose own planet was destroyed, I think, 100 years before... Yeah before the events of Season 3, and they were also having their strings pulled okay. by um, by the sphere builders. Mm-hmm. So we're we're seeing that the two main bad guys of Enterprise were actually just two uh, species whose home worlds had been destroyed, and then someone saw an opportunity to offer these people greatness again, whether they were even going to... Well, promise. The sphere builders were never going to... The promise of greatness. Yeah, pro- yeah. yeah, the sphere builders were never going to give that. We don't know what future guys... Uh, ulterior motives were if you had any but um so yeah that had been destroyed for 300 years and so the sulaban are a nomadic people so in theory we could bump into them more yeah around the alpha quadrant and we we haven't maybe they did this to try and explain why this major race wasn't a part of later trade, yeah if they didn't have an actual home world then that would be why the enterprise D never encountered this species 200 years later because they're scattered mm-hmm. everywhere I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's maybe that was some inspiration for it. And that the cabal, who we had been led to believe were just the Suluban initially, um, were actually considered an enemy of of a lot of Suluban. Yeah. And people were running from them, didn't want to join them. So I guess my question, Chris, is my well, first question. Was this other side of uh, Suluban culture a surprise to you?
2: When I first watched it, yeah, because I wasn't really expecting to find out this much about about the Sulaban and, and you know, have them sort of be mm. the stand-in for the, the, the Middle East, basically.
1: Do you think that the show maybe had a responsibility to do that, though? Oh. Because given we've spoken about what the, you know, what the world mm-hmm. was like at that time, and the show would maybe have had a responsibility to say... Even with whatever villains we show, we have to show that there's a side of these villains which isn't evil. That's our responsibility as storytellers.
2: Definitely, because if I remember from like some of the the TV shows or the other TV shows at the time, you know you had 24 starting off, which you know mm-hmm. that was basically just focusing on you know the al Qaeda's of the the Muslim world. So there definitely had to be saying, hey, not everybody who looks like the, the guys that are our enemy are our enemy.
1: Did we as viewers wrongfully assume that all Suliban were evil? I, did you assume that they were all bad?
2: Up until that point, yeah. I mean, because that, that's just kind yeah. of how, how they, they had, unfortunately, they had worked it in at the point, up to that point. But yeah. they they did a great course correction on it.
1: Yeah, they, they did, didn't they? That's, that's a perfect choice of words, a course correction. I think that's a, a brilliant way to describe it. I mean, this episode saw Captain Archer become sympathetic toward the mm-hmm. Sulaban prisoners, uh, which even he himself is surprised by in the episode. Archer, Travis, Travis specifically says actually that, yeah, you know, when they got there, they had wrongfully judged the Sulaban that were there, but, you know, they become sympathetic to their yeah. cause. Now, Archer becomes very sympathetic towards the Sulaban prisoners. Uh, which leads i guess into a lot of the conflict between him and colonel gratt mm-hmm. who was played by dean stockwell uh, yes. i think you've told me before chris that you hadn't seen quantum leap
2: that's correct but i do know that that both Bakula and stockwell were in in quantum leap together
1: maybe when we start running out of ideas for the show or just for a, f- a nice break we'll we'll start talking quantum leap yeah and we'll uh, we'll see colonel gratt and captain archer together again <laughs> on screen i was a massive quantum leap fan i've mm-hmm. said this before uh, so when when scott bacula got cast that was as jonathan archer that was incredible for me seeing dean stockwell i mean okay he's older right he had the a bit of alien maker but that was and he's holding his little data pad thing that he's reading from and in quantum leap he always had this like uh, it looked like lego blocks of like a futuristic supposedly uh, pad he'd look at which <laughs> I don't know how the hell to can read anything on it. It was just like glowing Lego blocks. But that was obviously a deliberate nod to Quantum Leap as well. And that was, even now when I watch it, I it gives me an urge to plug in Quantum Leap <laughs> start watching that show again, you know. But this was, apparently, the Quantum Leap connection is what got Dean Stockwell apart. So I don't know if he was approached just because of the connection or if he was in the auditions and then they were like, oh, wait, this is Dean Stockwell. He's worked with, yeah. with Scott, let's... Just bring him in I don't know I don't know how it went and I think just after this was when Dean Stockwell started appearing on Battlestar Galactica I can't remember where the dates were I feel like Battlestar Galactica went to full series in 2003 or 2004. Right there yeah so yeah he probably did this before that but you know he was about to become quite big again in the sci-fi fandom so um, I see this as like the
2: the reboot of his the
1: initial <laughs> yeah. yeah the initial reboot of his uh, career as a within the uh, the sci-fi genre so let's talk Archer mm-hmm. and Grat. How did you find the dynamic between these two and how it changed? Yeah. So starts off very helpful. Yeah. You know, Colonel Grat's actually really apologetic. I, sorry, I can't, I believe you. And he didn't seem like he was bullshitting. He was saying, right. like, I can't just let you go. You have to go to the magistrates. They're going to let you go, but I can't just let you go. You've got yeah. to go. But it turns as Archer realizes the Suliban aren't all evil there. And as Grat realizes that Archer knows more about the Suliban, then he's let on. Yeah. I mean, how did he find that sort of journey?
2: I think had had Grant not been so forceful in trying to get the information, and so, you know, blinded by the acquisition of the information, that he probably could have wound up getting it if he would have, you know, kind mm. of met, met Archer kind of halfway and been like, hey, you know, Archer's like, you know, I don't really appreciate, you know, what I'm hearing from these Sulaban, who, from what they're saying, are not part of the Cabal. And, you know, he does bring up the internment camps that we had during world mm. war two yeah. and saying, you know, this is basically just like that. And that's one thing, you know, in, in the over 200 years after we've learned that was something really shitty and we shouldn't have done it. And so we're, we're, yeah. we're fine trying to find injustices in the galaxy and correcting
1: them. And I wonder if, if Grat hadn't have become as forceful as you said about trying to get that information, he may have actually been a more sympathetic mm-hmm. figure. And as a viewer, watching it years later, having haven't seen it lots of times, I may have started to find myself feeling a little bit sympathetic to right. him and showing a bit of compassion because ultimately he's following orders. Yeah. I don't know if it's him that's even put the Suliban in, in the prison. You know, he's just he's just another colonel in their military. So that's obviously the way their planet are approaching the Suliban. So it's not just he's this evil dictator. Don't get me wrong, his way of thinking is incorrect. Right. It's wrong. But <laughs> how Archer just ruins it everything for him you would maybe find it harder to um, sort of completely cheer Archer on if Gratt hadn't been such a dick about getting right. the information but then Colonel Gratt was completely 100% convinced that he was right to ask for that information yeah. he thought he's saving the alpha quadrant you know if we can stop these Suliban I'm helping earth I'm helping everyone else the cabal is evil we've got to stop them I mean I don't know I, I think Colonel Gratt's an interesting character. I don't think he's black and white. No, he's not. He's not a typical villain. I don't. Maybe it's just his ideology is what makes him right the villain. But he, as a character, as a person, is not a villain. So I think that's why he starts off so nicely.
2: Yeah, because deep down he's got the the sympathy and that
1: mm.
2: towards you know, you know, people that look you know more like him or essentially not like the Sulaba. and so. He's like, okay, you know, I'm more willing to trust somebody who doesn't look like a cantaloupe, for lack of a better phrase.
1: But he's he's obviously a nice person. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, the like I said, it's the ideology that he's been he's been trained to hate these people who look a certain way. That is actually what makes him the villain. The episode, and that is not very common no. in Star Trek episode of the week villains. I guess that's the point I was trying to make and, and get into it in a weird way. But there's a layer to his villainousness I guess, that doesn't typically exist on characters we only meet one time in Star Trek. I think it's more common for a Deep Space Nine. Definitely. All these different layers and levels. And I think Colonel Gratt, if he'd been a recurring character, if the Sulaban had ended up having a much bigger impact on the show than it actually did have, then I wonder if Colonel Gratt would be in the same conversations as Ducat. Right. And people like that who just... Could be your friend one week, a villain the next, and then a completely different kind of friend, then a completely different kind of villain. And I just wondered, like Colonel Grant, for me gives those, gives off those vibes, but we just never saw him again. As a crime,
2: had it continued, it might be something completely different that we wouldn't have liked. Definitely a catch twenty two on that one.
1: It might have actually been that his ideology was everything to him, and in fact, he was a complete jerk and held all sorts of views Mm -hmm. that were just not right and and pretty evil. But it would have been cool to see it, but we didn't get that. We had hints that maybe it was going to happen again. Colonel Gratt gets mentioned, I think, by name in Two Days and Two Nights. And the Tandarans, obviously, are trying to get information out of Archer still about the Suluban, and then the storyline's dropped and we never hear about it again, Uh, which is annoying because the fact it got referenced suggested that there was some greater plan there. Do you think Archer should have been more helpful to Gratt?
2: Actually, with the way that Grapp not only wasn't letting up, but kept pushing, I think Archer did exactly what I would have done in the same situation.
1: Mm. Got stubborn, dug your heels in, and I was like, no, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not telling you a damn thing. Let's talk Travis then for a minute, because we're doing what Enterprise is the best, and we're kind of ignoring Travis's <laughs> role in this episode. The episode opened on Travis, yeah. actually, in the teaser. Well, that's very rare. <laughs> I could probably count like five, not probably not even five episodes where... Travis is the opening shot of the episode, but he's in the prison. He took a beating mm-hmm. uh, and all sorts. I mean, he oh, looked, rough. looked rough in that. And then he had a, a great moment I alluded to earlier where I think the friend was called Sajan or Sajan. I can't remember how, how it was said.
2: If I'm not mistaken, it's also portrayed by the same actor who was Keevan in Deep Space Nine.
1: Trek did like to uh, recycle yeah. his actors. So. The great moment where Travis says, look, you're right. We did. We did come here and we did think. You were the same as all other Sulibur, and that's on us. We shouldn't Mm -hmm. have done that, and we should be better than that, which is one thing I love about Enterprise, because they wouldn't have been like that in TNG, but they were here. Uh, But he says, but you know what? As soon as we realized we were wrong...
2: We changed.
1: We have opened ourselves up, and we have changed, and we've been accepting, and and we are are changing how we view everything, whereas you made a prejudiced decision about us, and you have not changed the way you are thinking. And I thought that was a really interesting argument. And I kind of wish we'd been able to get a bit more mm-hmm. on that. Again, that was putting the mirror up to him and saying, what you're saying we've done, actually, you are also doing. Right. And we don't get enough of that side of it. Um, we do see that the friend, Seijin, we'll call him that anyway, does come around that conversation, gets him in line, helps mm-hmm. out in the, the escape and all the stuff. But I mean, that scene, Then let's talk about that scene for you, Chris. Was that one of Travis's best moments in Enterprise?
2: Definitely. It's a shame that we have so few on-screen moments like, like that with Travis that we don't have more to choose from. So it's, you know, basically mm. top one or two. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely, Anthony Montgomery definitely definitely knocked it out of the park and you could tell he was bringing a bit from his own life into that into that role, into that, that part of the oh, role. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Anthony Montgomery showed far... He was never given enough opportunities, like you said, but when given the chance... He showed he's a really, really, I'm going to swear it's coming. He's a really fucking good actor. And this was one of those mm-hmm. scenes. There's other times where Travis was given so little to do, where you could be almost forgiven for thinking that Montgomery was, was a bit of a wooden actor. But it was moments like this scene where when he was actually given some mm-hmm. meat to, to chew, and you see just how good he is. Yeah. And we saw a little bit of that in the true two-part finale of of enterprise as well um, mm-hmm. demons and Terra prime you know those are travis episodes <laughs> a little bit uh, in those ones so i thought that was a, that was a wonderful scene there uh, let's talk about one of my favorite enterprise characters malcolm reed the master of disguise i've written in my <laughs> my notes dressed as a sullivan um, but didn't fool archer no. archer recognized him straight away apparently what does reed say he's like how do you know it was me <laughs>
2: To me, to me, it's one of those where, where Archer could kind of see, you know, in, into the eyes and be like, okay, it's Malcolm. <laughs> that, and I think he did also did a process of elimination because, you know, he's like, okay, Trip's gonna be up there flying fly the shuttle, you know, to to get us evacuated. I know it's not gonna be Flocks because somebody's gotta be up there, you know, taking care of all the medical stuff. And, you know, kind of, you know, breaking the fourth wall a bit, knowing that they're not gonna use the extra of the week to do it.
1: <laughs> it could be Rostov uh, coming down. I do think that we don't see it on screen. I've always in my head just assumed that Archer knew that part of the plan was yeah. someone was going to dress up as uh, as a Suleban. But I, I thought Reed looked hilarious, and you could see Dominic Keaton seemed to have fun. Oh, yeah. Whether he liked having the makeup on or not, he seemed. You could see on screen that he and it looked like it gave him an energy mm-hmm. that he didn't always have, and he led the breakout. And I always loved those little periods where we got to see Malcolm kicking some ass
2: and show a little bit more than the the stiff upper lip
1: yeah yeah and he did become more of a comedic character as well as the show went on and i think by this point actually maybe that they had actually let that guard down a little bit they built it right back yeah. up for minefield <laughs> in uh, the start of season two but you know it, it was kind of lower in throat maybe even with shut pod one was the first time it really yeah. lowered uh, which was only i think a few episodes before this so yeah uh, in season one but yeah, Malcolm Reed saved, helped save the day. So the big question of the episode is, you know, what happened to the Sullivan who escaped? Archer was convinced they'd get out of the system. Right. And away from uh, the Tandarans. But, you know, he wasn't sure if they could escape the Cabal. So what do you think happened?
2: I think that actually a good majority of, of them were able to, to escape not only the Tandarans, but also the Cabal. There's probably like a core group that, you know, went off somewhere where, you know, they hadn't really heard of the Suleban or the Cabal. And so they were able to kind of start over a new a new life, really. Like, as far as who went where, that one I couldn't tell you.
1: I think that the answer to the question is kind of easier to give when you look back in hindsight. Because the Suleban weren't really a big threat after this. We had Shockwave... And that was yeah. about it. <laughs> they, they weren't in really a major threat at all. They showed up uh, in the Expanse mm-hmm. episode briefly just to get a message to Archer. They appeared then in yep. Stormfront and they were gone.
2: Once Silic left, that was, that was the end of all.
1: I think that with all that in mind, then they probably were safe. Yeah. The majority of them probably got away because the Suluban didn't become this big, massive threat because they managed to get dozens or hundreds of more recruits. But I would, have, I think at the time, they probably, if the Sulaban were going to be turned into a greater threat, I think that you would have said like 70% of them might have got... Snatched up, yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't think, no, knowing what we know now of where the show went, I guess that they must have been safe, they must have got away. So we asked on Twitter, mm-hmm. we put a poll out. So guys, if you don't follow us on Twitter, please do. And you'll see more of this as well. In the future, in 2021, we put a poll out saying, was Archer right to help the Sulaban? Or should he have left them? You know, was he out of line? This is the prime directive mm-hmm. kind of question, yeah? I mean, this was overwhelming, yeah. by the way. And this says a lot about our fellow Trekkies. 95% of everyone who voted uh, said that Captain Jonathan Archer was right to save the Suliban and to help them escape. In fact, uh, one user at Guy Lonely said there was no prime directive back then so I think he made a very human decision, and that is one of Captain Archer's best qualities, and that that's mm-hmm. true. I think Archer is the most human of all the captains of all the Star Treks. So the question goes to you, Chris. Did you vote in that poll?
2: I don't remember if I did. I think I, I think I didn't want to taint it with with my own vote.
1: Okay, so now we're getting the true true answer from you. Okay, so. What do you think? Uh, Was Archer correct to cause that prison escape or should he have really sort of stayed out of it?
2: My caveat is, yes, he did. But because of the circumstances in which led him to help them out, had uh, Grant not been as, you know, forceful in trying to get the information, then I think I think there might have there might have been a way for him to improve the conditions there and then, you know, set it up for a follow up you know, later on.
1: I think it's safe to say that if this was in the 24th century, then Archer would have had his hands yeah. tied. He would not have been allowed to uh, to do... Well, he still might have done it because they always break the Prime yeah. Directive, but the Prime Directive probably prohibits that kind of interference. And I do believe he was right to help. But if you go with the idea that those people may have actually been then recruited to become soldiers of, of the cabal... There's also that little part of you that's kind of like, oh, man, you should have left them there. But no, it's not right. They yeah. were in there because of just how they looked. Forget what they could or couldn't become once they're out of the prison. Right. You know, they they were in there for the wrong reasons. They shouldn't have yeah. been there. If we were to say that he should have stayed out of it, if we followed what the prime directive would have probably told us to do 200 years later, 100 years later, Kirk would have still broken them out.
2: He, he would have wrangled Spock into breaking them out too, so... Look no further than uh, Aaron or Mercy. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Gosh, I haven't watched that one, though, for... Oh, my God. I'm probably about 15 years.
2: It should be coming up for you, because it is a a first season episode.
1: Yeah, it's uh, right now where I'm at in my... We're alluding to my other podcast show, Her First Trek. Um, Where I'm at my viewing right now, Spock is just always suggesting that they need to kill. (laughs) (laughs) They need to kill the villain right now. I'm just like, Spock, why do you keep saying (laughs) we're going to kill this person? So I'm, I'm waiting for Spock to become Spock, really, that I remember. Archer completely did the right thing if the prime directive had existed and had said he couldn't get himself involved and that's a real issue with the prime directive right if we're saying it's okay to detain people based on their appearance then oh are we the good guys i don't think no i don't think we are the good guys if we're allowing it chris the impact of this episode then on the temporal cold war arc if any did it did it add an extra layer or really did we i guess fail to explore these issues ever again on the show
2: It's me and added a layer into the sulaban that weren't there before um but other than adding towards you know the 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 temporal cold war it didn't really do a whole lot because we we only saw you know sort of you know this side of things and not really anything that was trying to influence the past for the future
1: why do you think we never got a follow-up because the zindi didn't happen until season three so we had season two you know, we could have done some stuff with the Suleban. Why didn't we ever meet any of the Suleban we met in this episode, but see them again as as soldiers of the cabal or, or not as the case may be?
2: I would I would think probably in Universe, um, they just went they just got the hell out of Dodge and, you know, tried try to get as far away from the this area of space as they could. But mm. The, the the real world answers they probably just forgot about it. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's probably true. That's probably true. I don't think that the this extra layer that we gave to the Suleiman had any impact on the show at all. But I think it has an impact on the mm-hmm. viewer to help yeah inform their opinion more of the Suleiman and to ask questions of yourself and your own ideologies or maybe not maybe not ideology but your own approach to similar circumstances in in your day-to-day yeah. life um, which is a good thing but yeah it doesn't add anything to the storylines of the show whatsoever i just think that if you're going to read a i don't know a description of the sullivan race and the cabal and everything going on i think this is an interesting layer you know finding out that so many Suleban are not a part of the cabal yeah. and they're being hunted by the cabal to be turned into extremists i just think that's an interesting thing to know as a viewer but it never had any impact on the show going forward, apart from two days and two nights.
2: This sort of, you know, part of the Suluban was alluded to in even in Broken Bow. But I think they this is where they decided to go ahead and do a follow up on it as well.
1: Yeah, of course, Broken Bow did present us with the, um, the I can't remember her name now. Ser- no, it wasn't Serena, was it?
2: Oh, uh, Saren, I think.
1: Played by Melissa Clark, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, that's never happened before. Archer's joke. When she turned into an alien when he kissed her. Okay, so your final thoughts on the episode as a whole. Favorite moments, I guess, Chris. You know, what were some of your favorite parts of this episode?
2: Definitely when when Travis is talking about, about the food, kind of, oh, yeah. kind of <laughs> making jokes about it. And First just to Archer saying, you know, that the trip could use it to seal some of the valves and then, then talking to the Tandar, <laughs> Tandaran guard about it. You know I was like do you guys actually eat this stuff or do you have something better?
1: <laughs> oh, I would forgotten about that. Yeah, when Travis starts chatting shit yeah. <laughs> to the uh, to the guards <laughs> was was gold. I mean this this has some great Travis moments like we said. I got to say I think my favorite moment is the when Travis is talking to the Sullaban and really sort of yeah throwing the whole social commentary around mm-hmm. on him. I think that that's a, a great moment of the show, really powerful scene and i really loved the stuff with archer and colonel gratt yeah. i just thought dean dean stockwell added a desperation and he's got the eyes oh, for yeah. it dean stockwell just this, like this desperation to what he's trying to get from archer and and you're bought into it whether you agree or not and i'd like to think that none of us agree with what the townhouse <laughs> right. are doing but i think you could believe that for colonel gratt he felt that this information was the most important thing that he could be provided. And that he was allegedly not well, supposedly doing the right, the right thing. So how would you consider the episode as a whole? Then you've called it one of your favorites from season one. Um, You know, final thoughts.
2: You know, like, like I've said, definitely a hidden gem here in season one. Like I said, it's got everything that you look for in Star Trek. Honestly, I don't think I would, I would change anything. And if it is, it's just, you know, minor mm. tweaks here and there. As far as it being, you know, completely perfect, um, but definitely, definitely the one of the stronger showings there in season one of of what Enterprise is and and you know what they were trying to do, you know, not only there but also in uh, in the series as a whole.
1: I think you're right. I think that this episode was perfect. Yeah, there's nothing to change in there. Uh, I just wish we could have seen more,
2: more after. Yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, that's my that's my only regret with the episode. But I thought very very good episode. Great to have Dean Stockwell with uh, Scott Bakula. Okay, that is it for discussion of detained. Thank you very much for listening to the show, and uh, we'll be back with next week's episode, Chris. Which let's tell everyone what we're doing next week. We're celebrating someone next week. It's a, it's a big deal, man. Huh?
2: For uh, returning to our character studies and. Since we are, we've already done a, a Hoshi episode in the writer's room, we decided to go ahead and do the character study for Hoshi Sato.
1: Yes. So on next week's show, we'll be talking all about Hoshi Sato. And uh, I can't wait to, to chat about her. There's a, there's a lot, to, lot to unpack, even though she wasn't a very um, prominent character on the show. Mm-hmm. So can't wait to talk about that with you, Chris. To everyone else, thank you for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and uh, give us that little five-star rating on your podcast app. Thank you very much
2: if you enjoy listening to the expanse a star trek enterprise podcast every week then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron visit our patreon page at www.patreon.com slash nx01 podcast there you can view our subscription tiers some of the benefits of becoming a patron include early access to our episodes bonus episodes and so much more your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from the show to all of our existing patrons we appreciate you and your generosity so much and to those of you considering joining us we would be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons again visit patreon.com annex one podcast for more details you will also be able to find the website link in the details of this podcast episode Thank you.
1: The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by Chris Hill and myself, Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow NX01 Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find Chris Hill on Twitter at TheChrisHill, and myself on Twitter at KyleThomasWest. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type The Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thank you for listening.
0: This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs.
1: Loading Sweet Preview Program for Her First Trek, a Star Trek review podcast. When Daya gets there, she's scantily clad. I mean, that bit of clothing goes low. She must have had a wax job just before. Oh, yeah. It goes about as low as any item of clothing could go without showing your vagina. Mm. Don't you think? Would you wear anything that low? Is that even a real question? Of course I wouldn't wear
0: anything that low.
1: I was just wondering because I was going to get I pull get all of my stuff
0: up to my belly button. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to see that. My uterus would be hanging out.
1: Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right, I'll scratch that off the list then. Back to the oh, Princess Leia fantasy. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Vedic Assembly, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Because of The Expanse. Like, if you mm-hmm. were if you were trying to portray a, a species like that in Star Trek, you were like, oh, they're just doing the Belters from The Expanse.
0: Yes. Well, and actually, they did it better in The Expanse than they did in Star Trek. Because they
1: actually hired really, really lanky tall people to play them.
0: Mm-hmm. They can't do practically what the Belters would really look like according to the books, but they hmm. did as close as they possibly could, and yeah. it still works for me. And it's a much more interesting... Origin and story, and they just did everything better.
1: Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek Review Podcast.
2: Who knows? I mean, what's the worst that happens? They all have a terrible experience, and you you learn that, okay, maybe there's nothing we can really do to to get these people to work better and you know you go from there or aliens shear off the side of the delta flyer and they all die a horrible death in space i mean that could happen too <laughs> yeah that's also possible but then i guess i mean you'd have a whole new problem but that would solve the problem of three underperforming crew members
0: computer deactivate hollow suite.